My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. All right. Well, we are continuing on. We took a little bit of a break last week because we were uh, in Pennsylvania hanging out. And so, uh, which was an awesome time. And uh, if you're kind of wondering where the prayer emphasis came from that we talked about earlier that Tamara mentioned, it came from that retreat. We talked about on that retreat that we are going to have more of an emphasis uh, on prayer in our church. And so what we've come up with is every month we're going to have a prayer focus. And once a month, we are actually going to fast together as a church to pray uh, for that specific thing. And so uh, more on the fasting whenever we get a little bit closer to that day. I know maybe you have questions. What am I fasting from? What is fasting? What does it do? All of that. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, So don't worry about any of that stuff. Also, I just want to add as a side note, if you were unable to be at the retreat, um, we recorded the sessions. So you can listen to the sessions um, that we we had there. There's really only two main ones. And then the third one was one where we spent about eight minutes talking uh, just about emphasizing prayer, which I do have that. And then we spent the next, I looked it up, it was like an hour and five minutes of just praying together and uh, splitting up. And it did not feel like an hour and five minutes. That went by so fast. And uh, so that portion is not on the video, uh, but the eight minutes leading up is on the video. So if you want a copy of that, let me know and I will email you a copy of those sessions. Uh, It is a video format. And so I will get those to you ASAP. Thank you, Karis, for reading that scripture for us. We've got a theme uh, throughout the day uh, and it's all revolving around Christ, but specifically uh, one thing. I want you guys to write this down. This is going to be the title of the message. Uh, You guys know the first week we did Rooted in Faith. We did Rooted in Faith. The second second week, which was two weeks ago, um, was Rooted in, does anybody remember? The Deity of Christ. For those that are taking notes and just had to flip one page back or two pages back. And then today, I want you to write down rooted in reconciliation. And I didn't want to put that word there because that's like a churchy word and it's a kind of a longer word and it's kind of an obscure word. Uh, but there's no other word for it. Like we are rooted out, like we need to be rooted in reconciliation. You guys remember Paul is talking to this church and Paul is saying, hey, I don't want you to be influenced by any outside influences. I don't want you to be negatively influenced to, to, to water down your faith at all. I don't want you to be negatively influenced to think that there's another way besides the way that you had been taught. And there are a lot of philosophies that are in the world and a lot of wisdom that comes from the world that is worldly wisdom. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to fall into any of that. So I want to make sure that you understand exactly how a person is saved. And so he ends up writing the book of Colossians. And that's why the first thing we looked at was, I want you to be rooted in your faith. And the second thing that we looked at, because Paul went straight to this, is he goes to the deity of Jesus Christ. He's like, I want you to be rooted and confident in the fact that Jesus is God. 
Why? Because if he's not God, then he's just a man, right? And if he's a man, then he's a sinful person. And that means we're not saved. That means that we, we can't have life because he was insufficient to save us. And so today, we're, he's going to continue that kind of talking about that supremacy of Christ. And he's going to talk about how we're reconciled through Christ. And not just us, but if you notice, there are other things as well. So the title today is Rooted in Reconciliation. And if anybody, by the way, during the middle of this message, or even right now, is freezing cold, we can go straight to the uh, thing back there and turn that off. Because I just see people all of a sudden just being like, oh, I can see your breath. And so I just want to, I'm like, maybe it's too cold. I don't know. There we go. Ah, oh, thank you, Savannah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I even feel better now. <laughs> I was really the one who was freezing, so. But, uh, so, rooted in reconciliation, all right? And, and he wanted them to be rooted in reconciliation, and I want all of us, by the time we leave this place today, be rooted in reconciliation, the doctrine of reconciliation. And I know that sounds really heady. I know that's like, what is about to happen? I need all of you guys to clue in. If you guys start falling asleep, we're going to turn that right back on, and we're going we're gonna to pump this thing full of air, okay? But, uh, but just stay with me here, because this is a beautiful, beautiful passage. And it, and it speaks a beautiful, beautiful truth over us that if we grasp and we know really well and we, and we hang on to it, then our chances of being uprooted are way less. And so let's make sure that we clue in on what this is. So let's dive in verse, four, verse 20. And here's what it says right off the bat. All right. It says, and through him, through who? Jesus. There you go. I teed that right up for you. You can't get that one wrong. That's the number one answer. Jesus. All right. Through Jesus. All right. He's talking about the person who all of, all of God's glory dwelled and pleased to dwell in him. Right. So he just finishes this beautiful Christ hymn that we looked at. And he's like, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is a incredibly packed set of scripture right here. And I can't wait to break this down with you. All right. So first of all, what is reconciliation? If we're going to talk about being rooted in reconciliation, what even does that mean? Right? Reconciliation, that Greek word that he uses right there, I'm not going to say it out loud, but this is what it means. This is the definition of it. To reestablish proper friendly, interpersonal relations after these have been disrupted or broken. All right? That's what it means to be reconciled. With the word that he used there, that's what he's talking about. It's to reestablish a proper, friendly, interpersonal, proper, friendly, personal relations after these have been disrupted or broken. So what's he saying? He's saying there is something that is broken and there is something that is in need of reconciliation. And Christ, through his death on the cross, and specifically the blood we'll talk about in a moment, it was accomplished through reconciliation. But let's break this down a little bit. Between whom does there need to be reconciliation? Between whom? Here's the answer to that. God and everything. That's what the scripture says there. And through him, God reconciled everything 
to himself. Does it say everyone to himself? No. It says that he reconciled everything to himself. That is very interesting. He could have said something like he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18. Here it is on the screen. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So he told the Corinthians, we need to be reconciled to God, right? But what does he say here in Colossians? He says what needs to be reconciled is everything. Why? Because he's talking about the supremacy of Christ. He's in the middle of talking about how preeminent and, and, and supreme that Christ is. And so he says on the tail end of Jesus is God, basically, is what we talked about last time. On the tail end of that, he says, and through him, by the way, Jesus who is God, through him, not just we are reconciled. He says everything is reconciled everything. It goes beyond. He's so supreme. It goes beyond you and I. He's so supreme. He's so preeminent that it goes all the way to everything in the heavens, under the heavens, and on the earth. Everything under the heavens and on the earth reconciled to God. This is an amazing thing, and it's interesting to think about. When sin entered the world, the relationship broken with God wasn't just between humanity and he. There were other relationships between God and other things had been disrupted and broken. You want to talk about the power that is in the blood of Jesus. That is power. That is extremely, extremely powerful. And so you may ask, well, like what? Like what? What, what specifically has been broken? We know that we have been but what else? What relationship needs reconciling? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 20. I want you guys to see this passage right here. It's amazing. It says this, against its will, Paul speaking here to the church in Rome, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Ah, so it wasn't just us. It was all of creation that was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, now he's going to talk about creation. He's not going to talk about us. He's going to talk about creation. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So not only are we going to experience glorious freedom, but even creation is going to experience glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know, it says in 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation needs reconciliation. Creation is groaning. And what, what curse is he talking about, right? He said it was subjected to God's curse. The curse, he's talking about the curse that fell upon the earth, that first sin. In Genesis, when they chose to eat the forbidden fruit, overdoing what God had asked them to do. I even think he uses an imagery here of creation, groaning as pains of childbirth to take us back to that moment. Because remember what it said in Genesis 3, 16 to 18. Here it is. Then he said to the woman, so they had just sinned, right? Then he said to the woman, now he's, he's saying, these are the consequences. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That's a whole sermon in itself, but we don't got time for that today. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. 
All your life you will struggle to scratch at living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. The fall did not just affect you and I. The, 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 record, the brokenness of a relationship was not just between God and us. It was also between God and creation. It affected all things. Before, before the fall, there was no death. You get imagery in scripture. The lion and the lamb would lie down next to each other. Can you imagine that? There were, there were no predatory birds or animals that didn't exist before the fall. The ground was blessed and nothing even had a thorn or a thistle. How many of you guys have ever tried to work with a rose bush before? We had those at our last house. Um, whenever we lived in Louisiana, I know it's weird to think about, man, we had a house. Anyways, but like we, you know, we, we had these rose bushes. We had a, we had a flower bed. <laughs> we had these road, rose bushes. And, and you know what? I complained so much about that flower bed. And now I'm just like, please, I would love to have that back. Right? Exactly. It's a theme that just keeps on coming up, right? But it's like, but, but we would go out there and I would hate trimming the rose bushes, hate it. And every time I would go in and I would be like, oh, I have to trim it and then like pull it out. I would always get stuck. And, and the, the moment I got stuck, I was just like, thanks, Adam and Eve. Thanks a lot for that. Appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. Because the Lord spoke back to my heart and been like, no, do you have nobody but think but yourself there, buddy? But because of the fall, the sting of death, the sting of death, not only stung mankind, it stung creation. Creation forward would experience the curse and pain of death and decay. Wow, wow. But do you know why creation looks ahead with eager hope? It's because through the death of Christ on the cross, God reconciled even creation to himself. That's the power of, of the blood of Christ. That's the power of all of that. And, and it, so it says, and, and through him, God reconciled everything. Now, whenever you read that and you see that word, everything, I don't know how many of you guys read that first and just immediately thought of only you and him. But it's everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. And I want you to notice that it's past tense. God through him, and through him, God reconciled that's past tense. That means it's done. He made peace. That's what Christ did. It's done. Creation is reconciled. Peace has been made. Its future is, is secure. It's just a waiting game now until the new heaven and the new earth arrive. And then creation is going to be right back to where it was before sin entered into the world. It's going to be an amazing time. And by what means, because I want to highlight this as well, by what means was it all reconciled? By means of what? Say it out loud. Christ's blood on the cross. By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. If you think about it, Christianity is sort of a bloody religion. It's kind of weird, actually. Like if someone were to just kind of walk in off of the street right? It would be a little weird because if they didn't have any context about anything and they just walked in, right? And we're singing things like, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the lamb. They'd be like, 
you know, that's weird. Like, why are they singing about lamb's bloods and power being in that, right? Those are weird things to sing about, to, 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 to say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood supplied. Like, we sing blood, and we're just like, thank you, Lord. Somebody walks in, and they're like, why is, what's up with all the blood? Right? We just sang the song. We've been made his children by what? By election and by blood. Like, why do they talk about blood? Then we have the sermon part, and we're talking about blood. And then we have communion. And what happens? We say weird things like, this is my blood, <laughs> right? Like, drink this in remembrance of me. That's weird. That's a weird thing to say. So what's with all the blood, right? Well, here it is. The blood of Christ is what reconciled everything back to God, specifically. That is what reconciled everything back to God. The means by which Christ died, the cross. Guess what? It didn't reconcile us. He didn't have to die on a cross. It wasn't the cross that reconciled us. The willingness of Christ to die did not reconcile us. The life of Christ, even though he was sinless, that did not reconcile us to God. While all of those things were essential and all of those things were a part of the reconciliation that we needed, it was the blood of Christ that reconciled us. It was the blood. The, the sacrificial gift of his life. Blood represents life. Blood represents life. In reality, blood is life. I've never said blood so much in my whole entire life. You can't live. Think about this for a second. It's going to blow your mind. You can't live without blood. What? No, it's true, right? That's why it's called life blood. If it's poured out, what will happen? You will cease to live. If it's diseased, what will happen? You will eventually die. Our blood is diseased and stained with sin. And what we need, what do you, what do you, what is somebody who has a blood disease need? A transfusion, right? They need new blood. They have to have new blood. From the beginning, think about this, from the beginning of everything, the cost of covering sin-stained blood was the sacrifice of unstained blood. That's from the beginning. The first sin in the Garden of Eden, sacrificial blood was uh, shed to cover up its effects. When the first recorded death in Scripture happened, God sacrificed an animal to make a covering for the nakedness of Adam and Eve. From then on, God established a pathway of blood. A sacrificial system in which blood would atone temporarily for the sins of the people. But even then, it wasn't fully sufficient. God was painting a picture, ultimately, for what was ahead when the Son would step into the world and sacrificially shed his pure and unstained blood, human blood, exchanging it for our sin-stained blood. It's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. The only thing sufficient enough to save a life with sin-stained blood is the sacrifice of unstained life, sinless life. And that's why Christ's sinlessness is so important. It is so important for us. And through Christ, by the means of his blood on the cross, not only was it sufficient to reconcile creation, not only was it, I think it was overly sufficient, to reconcile creation, but it was perfectly sufficient to reconcile all of mankind, including you and I.
Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, right? Thank you so, so much. And I, and I love what he says. He says everything, right? Everything is reconciled. And in verse 21, he, he goes ahead and adds them into the mix. He's like, I want to add you in it too. This includes, right? This reconciliation includes you who were once far away from God. Raise your hand if you were once far away from God. So this also includes you as well. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Why did we need reconciliation? This is not a popular answer, but here's the truth. It's because we were enemies of God. Don't get mad at me like we literally just read that in the Bible. We were enemies of God. And what was the result of being enemies of God? Well, it's separation from him. It's a disrupted and broken relationship. And what specifically separated us from God? What disrupted and broke the relationship? Well, it says right there, our evil thoughts and actions, our evil deeds, aka sin. Sin is what broke our relationship. Sin is what made reconciliation necessary. Sin makes us an enemy of God unless we can be reconciled to him. It makes us an enemy of God and we remain enemies of God until we are reconciled to him. People will say, well, God loves all his children. He does. He loves all of his children. God 100% loves all of his children. But according to the Bible, until we are reconciled to God, we are children. According to John 8, 44, we are children of our father, the devil, is what the Bible says. So every person on the earth is not a child of God. Does God love all of his children? Yes. Is everyone a child of God? No. Not everyone is. And if you're in need of reconciliation, you are not a child of God. And you are in need of reconciliation. And you might say, well, according to this passage, right, well, we are reconciled to him. Remember, it was past tense. We are reconciled according to it. Through the blood of Christ, everything was reconciled to God. So aren't we good? Because other people have that theology. Well, if Christ died for everyone, then everybody's good to go. He's paid for everyone's sin. So aren't we good? Well, it's true that the rest of creation is good, but you are not. You are not. The Bible says elsewhere, and here in a minute, that it takes faith. That it takes faith for a person to be fully reconciled. It takes you seeing yourself as a sinner, an enemy of God, who is in need of a savior. It takes you calling out to that savior, whether it's in your heart or out loud and saying, I believe, but not just believe with your head, but also a belief in your heart that is shown through action, a real faith, a saving faith, a real trust. It's a faith that leads to repentance of sin and a new desire to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. It's those people to whom reconciliation to God comes. It's to those people. 
And look at what comes to all who put their faith and trust in him. I love this passage. He says, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's a reconciled person. What happens? What happens whenever, whenever we are reconciled to God? Well, we are brought near. We were far away. We are brought near into his own presence in that moment. We are made holy instead of sinful. We are made holy. We are made blameless instead of guilty, and we are without a single fault. We are without a single fault. There are two types of people who stand before God right now. Only two. Only two types of people that stand before God. The one is an enemy of God and will have to pay for their own sins for eternity. The second is the one who is reconciled to God, whom Christ's blood has already paid for and therefore will not have to pay for their eternity. There's only two types of people. It's like two people standing before a judge, right? You got two people standing there, both guilty of breaking whatever law. Somebody comes in and says, I'll pay the fine for this person. They ask me to pay the fine for them. I'll pay the fine for them. That's what I'm going to do. Walk out of the room. That person is going to be free to go. That person is going to be great. The, they don't have to pay anything else. The fine has completely been paid. The second person, they're standing there. They weren't paid for. So what are they going to have to do in a court of law? They're going to have to pay for it themselves. You see, that's exactly what happens Christ has, has died. Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled. He's paid for our sins. Yet there are going to be some people who are standing there whose sins are paid for and some people who will have to pay for their own. Those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ are going to have to pay for their own. Are they both still guilty of breaking the law? Yeah. They're both still guilty of it. But only one is going to have to continue to pay for their own So truly thank him for the blood because our broken relationship could be reconciled. But then Paul ends this whole thing by saying something interesting. It's a warning, if you will. And, uh, and so we'll start back in 22 and we'll, and we'll read into it in 23. It says this, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, right, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Thank you, Jesus. 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. But you must continue to believe, is what it says. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. That's a very interesting thing because it's like, wait, so is that saying, because if I'm reading it, it's like you're holy and blameless, like you're reconciled to God, but... But there's, there's a but there. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it, not drifting away. So is it conditional? Like is, that, is that how we're going to read this? So does, that, does this say that we will be saved, reconciled only if we have faith and continue in that faith? 
Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you can lose your salvation. It doesn't say, it doesn't mean that if you have true saving faith, you can lose it. That's not what it's saying there. All right. And let me explain this because I say this all the time. What's the best way to interpret scripture? With scripture. The best way to interpret scripture is with scripture. So whenever you come across something like that, and in our wording, it's like, you are reconciled, you are blameless, but you must continue to believe it. Because what does that sound like? It sounds like that if you stop believing it, then you're going to lose it. Well, let's, exp let's look in other scripture and go, okay, was well, that true? Like, if that's how I interpret that, is that true? We don't have time to go through all of the scriptures, but write three of these down, and you can look them up later. John chapter 3. Verse 15 to 16. John chapter 3, verse 15 to 16. Write down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And write down Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. But we will look at one passage. That last one is Romans 8, 38 to 39. Ephesians 4, 30. John 3, 15 to 16. Here's, but here's, here's one verse for us to look at quickly. John 10, 27 to 29. I want you guys to see this. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is Jesus talking. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them away from me. Do you know who that no one includes? You. It includes you. You can't even snatch yourself out of God's hands. Like once you have eternal life, it is secure. You will never perish and no one, not even yourself, can snatch them away from Jesus. He says, for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. He's more powerful than you are. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. So he's saying right there, once you are saved and you have the promise and the hope of heaven, it cannot be taken from you and you can't even take it from yourself. There's a saying that says, if you did nothing to gain your salvation, then you can do nothing to lose it. You are not a part of the equation. It's not a part of you at all. So then what's it saying? Greg, like what's, what's, what's that passage saying then whenever it says, if you continue in the faith? Well, Paul is recognizing those who for some reason stop continuing in the faith. What faith? Saving faith. Let's talk about it for a second, because what does that mean? I'm sure you've known someone um, that fits this description. I have known several people uh, that actually fit this description. That's one thing that's so hard now, uh, this side of youth ministry, um, is looking at where all of my former youth are. Some of them pastoring churches, serving, you know, in churches, like they're, they're living for the gospel, but some of them are nowhere to be found. Some of them have completely rejected God altogether. And that's a really sad thing to see. And I'm sure that you can think of people, maybe if you grew up in youth group, or maybe if you, you know, whatever, you've been in church long enough, you've had people that have come into your life, you've fellowshiped together, you hung out together, like these people who, who, who you saw them maybe pray a prayer 
You saw them maybe go down front. You saw them maybe uh, be baptized. Some of you guys know who I'm talking about because you've, we've all got those people. They, they said the right words. They came to church all the time. They read their Bible. They prayed out loud and they were good prayers. They weren't just like scrub prayers. They were, they were prayers, right? You've heard them pray. They answered all the questions in Bible study. They went on mission trips. Yet for some reason, for some reason, they stopped continuing in the faith. What does it show when they, as the scripture said, drift from the hope of the gospel that they heard? What does it say? Well, it shows that whatever they presented as saving faith wasn't really saving faith. Whatever they were presenting as a saving faith wasn't really a saving faith. It was more of what I would call just a simple belief. And a simple belief can look real religious. It can. Belief that Christ's blood brings reconciliation does not equal saving faith. You can believe it all you want. It does not mean that you are truly saved. I'll give you an example. Does Satan believe Christ's blood brings reconciliation? Yes. Do demons believe that Christ's blood brings reconciliation? Yes. Is it a saving belief? No, it's not a saving belief. So what is revealed the moment someone stops continuing in the faith is that their faith was never a true saving faith. It never was. Turns out it was faith in something else. Faith maybe in themselves, in their own understanding, in their own logic, in their own reasoning, in their own intellect. And they were like, you know what? I believe this because in the moment right now, it makes sense to me. And I believe it. And plus everybody else around me believes it too. So I'm going to believe it as well, maybe. In other words, as long as it continued to make sense to them, they were in. But as soon as something else came along, they abandoned it all. What's the faith that actually continues there? Well, faith in themselves. That is a continuing faith. It turns out that's what it was the whole time is a faith in themselves. And this is why I always say a person doesn't ever leave the faith. It's in that moment that their faith is revealed. I don't think anybody leaves the faith. I think it's in the moment that somebody walks away, their faith is actually revealed. Maybe, we don't know why. I mean, there could be tons of reasons why. And, and maybe whoever you're thinking of, um, you can think of some reasons why, but maybe it was a painful circumstance in life, maybe a death or some other hardship that made somebody walk away. Maybe it was the desire and decision to live a different lifestyle, one that was contrary to scripture. They were convinced a different life was a life they'd rather live, and so they walk away. But here's what I think is true. I don't think somebody can just walk away like that. I don't think somebody can just walk away. In order to walk away, and maybe this is true from the people that you know, in order to walk away, they also have to discredit as much of their old life and beliefs as they can in order to walk away. Why? Because they need somehow to remove the guilt and the fear that comes along with walking away from faith. 
I don't know about you guys, but I, and, I, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But inevitably, whenever somebody walks away from the faith, they don't just walk away. They have to also say, well, Scripture actually isn't the Word of God. They have to say stuff like that. They have to destroy everything that they believed in so that they can walk away and feel okay about it. And it breaks my heart to see this happen. And, you know, it might cause alarm depending on who it is. Have you guys ever had a person that you were just like, I would have never, I've never saw that coming. Can you guys think of somebody? Man, I can think of several people. It's like, I never saw that coming. And it even happens to those who convince us best. And so I say this, And we talk about this, and, and I don't know about you guys, but whenever you're like doing this, you're like studying the Bible, and you're reading this, and you're realizing this, that there are people who can actually like walk away, then I don't know about you guys, but it's like, well, then who's saved? Like, how do we know? Like, how do we really know? Because you might be kind of sitting there wondering, like, if you have a true saving faith, like, do I have one then? Because what it, what, like what's happening is like a ticking time bomb and I don't really have saving faith and then at some point you're actually gonna walk away from it? Well, that's a good question. A question with an answer that will truly only be revealed um, in your last moments. But I can say this. The Bible says in 1 John that you can know that you have eternal life here and now. You can know that you have eternal life even now. In other words, you do not have to wait and then cross your fingers that whenever you pass over into death, that you actually had a saving faith. The Bible says you can know now and be confident now that you have eternal life. So here's, here's how you can know, all right? Because I want everybody in this room to be able to, and whoever's listening later, I want everybody to be able to know that they have a saving faith. I don't want you crossing your fingers at the end of your life and just going, I hope, I really hope this was a saving faith, all right? I don't want you guys having to be walking around like going, don't walk away from the faith. When something happens, be like, just don't do it. Don't walk away from the faith. Don't do it, right? No. So here's my first question. Do you recognize your need for a savior? Hopefully the answer to that is yes. Do you faith that Jesus died on the cross and that his unstained blood covers your sin-stained blood? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Truly believe that? Do you have a, and here's how you know if you truly believe that, all right? Here's how you know, here's how you know if you have that faith in Christ. Do you have a different mindset about sin from your previous life? Have you changed your mind about sin? Do you hate it? I'm not saying do you not do it all the time. I'm asking what is your attitude towards sin? Do you hate it? Do you fight it? Do you struggle with it? And not just because you know you're not supposed to. I'm saying like, do you hate it? Do you struggle with it? Do you fight it? Because from within your very being, it goes against who you are now and what desires you have to follow the Lord. Do you have a true desire for the things of God? Do you love his word? That's another way we can tell. 
Do we have the desire for the things of God? Do you love his word? I don't know about you guys, but before I was actually saved, and, and some of you have heard my testimony. We even talked about it on Wednesday. But I was the person that prayed a prayer and went forward. And I thought I had faith, but guess what? It wasn't a saving faith. It was a faith in myself. It was a faith in my knowledge. And it wasn't that moment until I was like, like that moment that I actually finally realized that I need a savior, I'm in trouble, and I need to make him the Lord of my, like I, I need to confess him as the Lord of my life and repent from sin. Like in that moment, God gave me a desire. He gave me a hatred towards sin, one that I'd never felt before. I knew, I always knew I wasn't supposed to. I was going to church, so I'm not supposed to sin. But I didn't have a hatred for it. It was just a slap on the wrist. Don't do it, right? And in that moment that I was saved, I actually was given a love for the word of God. What lost person in the world is out there going, I just can't wait to read my Bible? No one. It's hard to read, right? Like I have enough trouble reading the Puritans. Like, I mean, I, I, I struggle to go and, and, and read the scriptures. And, and whenever I was a kid, they gave me the New King James Version. Look, the New King James Version might have been new to the King James Version, but it was still hard to read. I, I didn't really understand it. And when I wasn't saved, I was like, I'm putting this down. Like, I don't want to. But guys, can I just say that now, like, <laughs> that I have a true saving faith, there's something inside of me that loves to read the Word. Does that mean that I wake up every single morning and go, give me the Word? No. Sometimes I'm like, okay, let's do this, right? But guys, every time I do, it refreshes my soul. It's not just words that I'm reading. It's something that, that changes alive in me, right? It changes me. Do you love his word? Is it a refreshment to your soul? Do you desire to live righteously? Do you desire to live a holy life? And again, I'm not saying just because you know you're supposed to. Is it inside of you, right? You truly have a desire within. And is that being fleshed out? Is that being shown in your day-to-day -day life? Because it's another thing to say, well, I desire it, but I never live it. I'm sorry, but that's never how desires work. Ever. Whatever you desire, you do. So if you desire the word of God, you read it. If you desire to see the lost come to Christ, you share the gospel. If you desire whatever it is that you, if you desire to live a righteous life, well, then you're gonna live a righteous life. You're gonna seek that in your life. Does that mean you're perfect? No, it doesn't mean you do it perfectly, but it will show out. Do you desire it with your whole heart and can you see a change in your life? Do you have a deep burden in your heart to see those who don't know Christ come to know him like you know him? And again, you aren't doing things to check off boxes, but you're doing things to check off burdens. Because so many people that leave the faith, it turns out all they were doing whenever they were living righteously, reading their Bible, they were just checking off boxes of things they knew they were supposed to do. They were not checking off burdens that plagued their heart. That's not what was going on. And if you are checking off burdens and not boxes, it's because God has given you a new heart. It's because you are indwelt with his Holy Spirit. And if that is the case, you can be 100% certain that you have a saving faith that you will not walk away from. No matter what the hardest thing is that comes, you will not walk away from it. You don't have to be afraid of walking away from a faith that is real and a faith that is true because you can't. So, 
That is what this entire passage right here is about. And let me, let me, just, let me just share this with you guys. I know that right now we have um, a, a prayer emphasis uh, this month specifically on God, give me more of a heart for the lost. He's already, if you're saved, you've got a burden for the lost. But sometimes we can get so caught up in everything that we're doing in our everyday life that our heart kind of goes a few other places because we're just being torn in a couple of different directions because we have so much going on. So what we're praying for specifically this month is that God would give us a heart for the lost and show us those who are within our influence who we can share with. Can I just tell you guys, this passage right here would be an awesome passage to break down with somebody. Somebody who's like, hey, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, um, you know, do you understand uh, like Jesus? And, and, and they were like, yes, I understand that he died for my sins. And I said, do you understand why he had to die for your sins? And they were like, I really don't get that. Because all of that is in what we just said. All of that is in what we just read. The need for salvation, the need for reconciliation between us and God, how to have reconciliation, like through whom reconciliation came. These are, these are really good passages to be able to take somebody through. So I would say, hey, write this down. And if, and if you guys want to even go in your own time and study it even more, we're going to talk about it more in our growth groups on Wednesday. But you can, I would say, definitely take this passage and walk people through that. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage. But one thing I do want to make sure, I can't ever assume, because again, I've been fooled by so many people who I thought were truly saved that I can't for one second think that every person in this room truly has a saving faith. Only you can know that. That's between you and the Lord. And so I just want to ask in the room, are you sure? Like, are all the things that I had said, the desires that I talked about, are those desires, can you, I mean, are you like yesing and amening because you get it? Or are you kind of like, he's speaking a language that I've heard a lot, but that I don't quite understand. Well, maybe it's because you've not had a true saving faith. Maybe you've had a rocky faith in something else that God is revealing to you right now that if something catastrophic did come along, you would walk away. Is that possible? And for, the, for everybody else in here who was like, no, I was definitely tracking with you. That is my heart. Those are my desires. How often do you get up and thank Jesus for the blood that he supplied for us, for you? How often do we do that? I think it's something we need to do every single day is wake up and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm reconciled because my relationship was broken and you reconciled my relationship with you through, through Christ, through his blood. Thank you. Man, wake up, your, wake up every day with that in your, in your heart and on your mind. That'll change your whole day. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at 
hopecommunitynyc.com.